0: Thanks for tuning in to Hoops Forum, a production of Radius Athletics and a Quick Timeout podcast. I'm Tony Miller and joined once again this week by my co-host Randy Sherman. Big thanks to our sponsors over at 323 Sports. The folks over at 323 are providing uniforms, equipment, team gear, and more to schools and colleges across the country. I've used them on multiple occasions and have been very pleased. Their customer service is fantastic. So as you prepare for the upcoming school year here, Reach out to 323. Let them be your athletic provider. You can find more out about them by visiting 323sports.com or you can contact a sales rep directly at sales at 323sports.com. They'll be sure to do it right for your sports program. Randy and I have an interesting episode podcast today because this is one that we did not come up with on our own. Right. Randy, this is uh, one that we let computers help generate for us.
1: Yeah, I had the idea of just, uh, Feed a prompt into Google Bard, which is the uh, AI search tool powered by Google and just um, see where the, see where it led us. You and I said we'll be willing to talk about whatever it spits out. So here we go. Yeah, I think we should start with like what I asked the AI search Google Bard to do. And I just said I just typed in that we needed five. Basketball coaching podcast topics high, uh, for a high-level discussion about basketball tactics and whatever it responded is what we're going to talk about today, and and we're just going to kind of freestyle based on what it what it gave us.
0: All right. So number one, the evolution of basketball offenses and defenses.
1: I think we've talked a lot about this, and and one thing I th- I think when you think about how basketball is changing the evolution of of basketball offenses and defenses few things came to my mind right away you're seeing more and more teams playing five out without a low post without a a guy you know posting up on the low block that's been done for decades or sometimes even there used to be two guys down on the each block and I think part of the evolution of basketball is more of open alignments obviously there's a a high volume of three-point shots that are coming from the pros and trickling down I believe that we're I work with some coaches in my ramp program who coach at the high school level and somewhere between 40 and 50% of their shot attempts are three pointers. So I think that's, that's another evolution of, of basketball on the offensive side. At some point you have to lean into that or you're just not gonna be able to keep up Mm -hmm. and, one of the things that this that that AI give us gave us in this response was to talk about how the evolution of offenses and defenses. So how our defense is going to start to adapt to that, and you're seeing things like staying out of rotation through using a lot of switching. You're seeing you know sort of like dealing with penetration by making these like quick rotations. Like an example might be peel switching or something like that to to sort of keep keep the defense organized and set and not get into that stage of the possession where you're having to rotate and, and, whack out shooters and stuff like that. So
0: creating advantages for the offense and for the defense, it's how fast can we neutralize the advantage that yeah. was just created.
1: So. And uh, i I'll, I'll, I've got another thought there, but I think one of the other responses, it might be better to save it for that. So let's, let's go ahead.
0: Okay. Second one here, the impact of analytics on basketball coaching.
1: I'd say it's become increasingly important just like the the chat response the, the AI response said and and it kind of goes hand in hand with the first topic that why have teams made this, these changes and adaptations to the style of play like if you if you were to go, I don't know if you've ever done this Tony but like you've just been like looking for something to watch on TV and maybe NBA TV or ESPN has like a classic game up from the 80s or 90s, it could be college, it could be pros and And I'm watching it and I'm just like, spread out, like, get like, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's that sort of instinctual response to just say spread out has, has happened. And it's a response to the, what, what the data is suggesting about offensive efficiency. And I included just a couple little general, I guess, visuals, but on the top one is, is in our ramp program, we keep a a spreadsheet of everyone's sort of just basic, very basic four factor analytic data and a, and a few other little um, interesting stats, true shooting percentage, stuff like that to sort of help the coaches I work with, learn how to uh, maximize offensive and defensive efficiency. The point I was tabling till this topic um, was that's great. I understand all that Randy, but what, what does it mean I should teach my players to, to be more analytically inclined? Two things come to mind, and I'm sure you have some thoughts too, but I'll start with two things. One, you you make offensive decisions basically on where you stand. It's really that simple. Where we stand and and uh, around actions and around penetrations. On the most basic level, that's what's how analytics has changed the game. If you go back and watch an, uh, a game from the 80s or 90s, Simply put, I can't make it any more basic than this. Players stood in different places than they do now. Don't overthink that. The second thing I would say is is defensively, now teams are deciding how they're going to guard ball screens and guard things with the thought of, of data in mind. Like statistics, data suggests that, that if we're going to have to give up something in our ball screen coverage, let's say, we would rather be the pull-up two than a, kick three or something like that. So all the analytics have done is give us information and information is very valuable and you can choose to, to knock it and say, uh, I, I don't, I don't like this, this new style of play or new fangled analytics stuff. You can choose to do that if you like, but all you're doing is ignoring helpful information.
0: The computer kicked out to make better decisions about player lineups, game plans, and other aspects. I think maybe to make more informed decisions. It's just another yeah. piece of puzzle that you can fill in and not feel like you have to guess. And it's not allowing this to determine every decision that's made because the, the analytics don't tell you what will happen in a specific situation. It tells you what often happens or most, or what often has happened happens or, backward or, what, looking. <laughs> right, or what has happened. And so because of that, there always has to be a coach from the gut and coach from just what you feel. But, it has even for us helped me make more informed decisions about how practice is organized. I think mm-hmm. in regards to the skills that are practiced or the skills that are practiced most, because when I go back and evaluate how I, how I organize my practices in the past, it was often equal time was given to things that, that don't call for equal time being given to them. Yeah, and, that's um, a good point. Even within the, the four factors, those four factors, if you know anything about the four factors or have listened to previous episodes that we've talked about, they're not all weighted equally. And so if I were to give each of those factors equal attention, I would be doing a disservice to my players. So I think it's just it's just helped us make better decisions about what we practice, when we practice it, um, what I emphasize to my players. I think we've even discussed this before. If you were to ask your players, like, what matters for your team? What, what are the most important things? if they can't give me in four or five things what those most important things is then we're probably not very good at anything so yeah i think just helping us be being be more focused in all areas and uh, be more prepared for the situations that you see most often in games has been another area that's helped our our program
1: i think this is just going to grow it's just going to the, the ability the technology of of what we're going to be able to to how we can use data is only growing, it's only going to get better, it's only going to get smarter. This episode of a Quick Timeout Out Podcast is presented by
0: Dr. Dish Basketball. Dr. Dish machines are the most advanced shooting machines on the market. If you haven't already, join top programs like Duke, North Carolina, Baylor, Alabama, and countless others and upgrade to Dr. Dish. And now save an extra $300 on select models when you mention Quick Timeout Out Podcast. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. All right, third one here: the role of player development in basketball coaching.
1: I think that's always been important, but I do think that I, I do like that that uh, AI gave us this response because I do think that that is something that could be uh, a weapon for coaches to take the two previous topics that we've talked about, analytics, and sort of like the modern game if you will and marry that with your player development to where you're equipped you're developing players with the skill set that it takes to play the game the way it will be played the way it is played to will be played and um i think it's more important than ever for coaches to be able to to develop players who are global in their game meaning they don't just like OK, our posts need to know our post moves. Our guard needs needs to know our, you know, ball handling or finishing moves or something like that. Like we we need, I think, player development probably as we see that industry grow is going that the best of the best are going to be putting uh, developing players that ha- that are multiple in their skill set. A good example on the screen is a player like Jason Tatum, who's a tall player, who's, uh, you know maybe. 15, 20 years ago would have been told to go get on the low block and and don't leave that area because he was tall when he was a youngster. But, you know, now he's a basket-facing player with multiple skills, can shoot, can drive, can use a ball screen, all of those things. So I think the role of player development, another thing I would say and that I am a firm believer in, if you're leading a basketball program and listening to this this episode, whether that's high school, college, professional, is find a way to tie your player development into your offensive system to where if, if there's a style of play that you are going to make an identity piece around your program, that also comes with some priority skills that those players in your program are going to have to learn. For example, if I was going to be a program centered on motion offense like you know Bob Knight or Rick Majerus ran and stuff like that, we got to be great coming off screens. We got we got to be able to do that, but if if it was something else like a dribble drive type system, well we got to be great at starting and finishing drives and hitting and catch and shoot threes. and so this the player development can be very stylistically um, influenced as well.
0: You know I'm coming off two weeks of basketball camp with kids that are just all over the country and you know mm-hmm. different levels and different types of schools, and I just observed a lack of fundamental skills. That I think sometimes probably the training that sometimes is, is done maybe at the high school level at some places, there's almost an overemphasis on plays or these are the things that we're going to run and just simply being able to shoot, dribble with both hands, finish around the, the, the paint being able to make the right decision. We've talked a lot about decision-making on this mm-hmm. on this podcast, but being able to do all of those things within the game context. And I would say for those that are, whether you're a skill development coach or a high school coach, being able to become a master at teaching the micro skills of the game. So being able to I, uh, communicate to players how to do a skill, not just this is what we do, but, footwork teaching them the right kind of footwork teaching them where to look on the floor uh, those things when i've been able to do those better my i found that the actual execution the skill execution of my players increases a lot of that is on your you as a teacher not necessarily you as a on a as a play architect if that makes yeah. any sense
1: yeah it does so. i would say too if I think you raised a good point that if any of our audience are player development coaches, like a, a skills trainer or something like that, that's a job I've not done. So I'm not gonna claim any experience as far as doing it alone, as that that's my only job. I think all coaches do a little bit of that. It, it, my advice to you would be start from the game and work backwards. Like I see some things being taught to players that just really are counter to what coaches really want performed within an offense or within the structure of a game. So there is if you just watch the games and and look at what the the actions that coaches are teaching in in tactics and strategies on the court and then and then build your skill development business around helping players be able to execute those actions and knowledgeable in those actions, I think you'd make a fortune because you're going to be like, Oh, these, this, these guys are coming. I'm referring all of my future players to this guy, because you know, instead of, of, of sort of like, it's almost like there's this like at odds feeling between the skill development in the industry and the coaching industry is that you're teaching players things that I'm kind of hoping they don't use, like, you know, over dribbling and making these combination moves. What I really like you to do, and and I'm happy to send you more and more business is, is take some of the things that, you know, how to play out of a dribble handoff, how to, how to execute a ball screen versus different coverages, how to, how to do shoot coming off a screen and organize your feet to, to your footwork point, things like that. If if you can send me players that that are adept at that, I'm gonna send you all the business all day long. <laughs> you know, give me your business card. We're we're gonna we're gonna open up shop together.
0: All right, fourth one here: the mental side of basketball. You've spent a little bit more time with this than I have, so I'll let you go ahead and start, and I'll try to think about some things as we talk. Here.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know that I've spent enough time on it because it is very important. The mental side of basketball would be how do we deal with adversity? How do our players deal with adversity? I I had a, I had a conversation with a coach recently who was having a problem with a few players sort of like having, I guess you could say just like negative response habits. So something bad happens. Maybe that's a, a foul gets called on them or they miss an easy shot or they get subbed out of a game for not necessarily doing something wrong, just the coach in his normal rotation takes them out of the game. So when I see a team that I I would say, yeah, they don't have a championship mental makeup, oftentimes what makes me say that is their response to adversity. I don't know if they didn't expect adversity or if they thought that that, that there wasn't going to be even a single moment in the game where there was a mistake, a, a bad call, or something like that. Like you should go into sports and athletics and, and competition expecting adversity. And I think when I say mental toughness and the mental side of the game, what I'm really saying is is how we respond to negative outcomes. And and I think if I were a coach and really wanted to, to prepare my team mentally, it would be coaching them through their responses to adversity and negative outcomes.
0: I have found that, it's almost helping them manage or deal with unmet expectations. And that can yeah. come in the form of not winning games that can come in the form of not achieving to the level that they would either as a team or individually throw in playing time, the amount of playing time. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to shatter their expectations at the beginning of the year, but I almost want to make it clear to them that maybe some of their expectations aren't necessarily realistic And also the fact that, you know, my expectations may be different from their expectations, just because they don't understand what it takes to build a team, just how to think about those things and how to go about thinking about those things. Uh, I, I think even a conversation that I had this last year, talking with a group of players, and that and basically telling them, get what you're saying, and I get how you've come about to that conclusion. But from my point of view, I'm responsible for all 12 of these guys or all 14 of these guys. Mm -hmm. And when the conversation was over, all of them were like, we get it. We understand, you know, it's not as the solution isn't as simple as we thought it was going to be. And so I I think that you as part of just mentoring young people is they're immature. They don't know what they don't know yet. And so helping them grow and how they think about things. And, um, you know, like you said, handling adversity, uh, team cohesion. How do we work with other players that are different than us? And and those yeah. are all non-basketball things, X's and O's things. But as those of us that have coached know that those things are as important or potentially more important than what happens on the court. And uh, you spend as much time or maybe more time as a team psychologist as you do as a team X's and O's Truth. practice practice uh, manager uh, when Truth. you're a head coach. So.
1: And here's one thing I, I believe, uh, I, this isn't fact, it's just a belief, is that, that victory is going to favor the team that sort of manages its emotions and manages its stress level, its arousal level, and, and, and amid competition, amid uh, the chaos, the storm of a game, the team that can sort of like really, really um, stay steady and execute Stay in, in, in and don't let the emotions of the game take them away from their, their mental clarity, if you will. Victory favors those teams. And and I would say as a coach, how can I create some chaos, create some adversity purposefully to train my team to select better responses? OK, here's what happened. I'm watching the film session and and you got a bad call. You spiked the ball down and got a technical, which compounded the situation. That was your response to that event. Just ask the whole team, what else could Randy have done other than spike the ball and get a technical? You, had, you have a whole menu of things you could have chosen to do. Um, how can we stay calm in an uncalm? I don't know if uncalm is a word, but it, if, in, in a chaotic environment, taking a pause, and practicing our response. And and sometimes we have this primal urge that we have to override. Like, I want to act out. I want to spike that ball. That feels easier to me, and I've got to override that.
0: Practicing more with games and game-like situations has just naturally created more of those types of situations, where I think probably in the past, those that just do drilling, you don't get a chance to address those things until you get to the games. And I was just at a practice yesterday and because of how they had structured the practice on several occasions with the exact same player, those kinds of situations, chaotic, uh, unfair, came up and the coach was able to address it and said to him, no, this situation here in June gives us an opportunity to address this Mm -hmm. now so that when the season comes around, then we have a better response to it. Fifth one here. The future of basketball coaching.
1: I mean, we've already talked about how analytics and sort of modernization of tactics is going to impact the future of basketball coaching. But I think where I, where I want to go with this would be the coach that is going to be starting now, say a young coach out of college or or, or that's just getting started on their career. What, what does their... 20 30 year coaching career what what is going to unfold during that time i would say the higher use of technology using technology to engage your players using technology that's going to give you more information to make more informed decisions i'm not as big into like yo you know gen z is different than gen x and i'm not that that big into that as some people are but i would say that like there are influences on now and, and future that we don't even know about yet on, on young people that we didn't have to deal with when we played or, or in the early part of our coaching career that, that we're going to have to adapt to. And they're, they're going to be causing players to behave certain ways and, and to feel certain ways that we're going to have to, to really get in tune with. And, um, everything is public as far as social media, everything we do, every workout, every game is, 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 is out there. So that, that can create a strong pull for, for a player to, um, to feel stress, to get their ego inflated sometimes if it, um, but I think, I think the future of basketball coaching is, is, is the coach is really going to have to be able to tell players the why behind things. I think gone are the days where it's just like I'm the coach because I said so. Again, I don't. I'm not as big into the different generations or the, you know these kids these days talk. I, I just I'm not that into that. Um, but I do think that we have an informed populace now because information is accessible. So it's easier to spot someone who is just uh, an autocrat rather than someone who is going to be inclusionary and and give information and be collaborative between player and coach.
0: Yeah. I don't think the end goal changes at all. I think it will be what it's always been. Um, How do I engage and motivate players for learning? And just looking back on my last 20 years, the way that we do that has changed Mm -hmm. and therefore going forward, I think the way that we, get their attention keep their attention will continue to change but ultimately i think at the end of the day it will still be how do i engage players how do i get their attention so that they can learn and you know ultimately they learning is not any different but how you go about helping them learn will change and so it may be yeah. if you're watching this it may be in the technology and how they consume things or where they consume consume things But I've looked back even on the last 10 years and how we go about teaching. Um, When I say we watch film, well, for the old heads in the room, you're hooking up film and putting it on a projector and throwing it on there. For the younger ones, you're putting it in a VHS tape in. Uh, You're putting a CD in. Well, how am I doing it now? Now I'm sending clips straight to their phone. Or I'm posting things on social media for them to watch. But at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, they're still watching film. It just looks different. It just looks different.
1: I think too, as coaches, we need to realize that that we're we're in competition with with all the other things that our student athletes could be doing other than playing basketball. I think the hardest challenge for the future of basketball coaching is going to be balancing that. Like if we're going to be good, a serious program, and we want to compete with other serious programs that that's hard and it takes physical effort and let's just be as basal as we can about it. Pain. Like you gotta hurt. You gotta lift weights. You gotta run. You gotta, all those things are uncomfortable (laughs) and that's just part of how we have to do things. Like there's no, you can, you can call it a small sided game and instead of running sprints, you can dress it up with whatever, but it's, it's physical work, which, which our body wants to fight (laughs) and, and, we're in competition with all the other things that a player could be doing that aren't physical work and are fun and how we're going to sort of like do what the sport demands but still outperform the competition of all the other things that an athlete could be doing with their time. That's going to be a strong tug of war that I I, I think is going to be a challenge to deal with.
0: All right, so five uh, topics generated it to us and
1: thanks google uh, bard
0: yeah appreciate that appreciate them for providing that for us want to continue to remind you of our coaches clinic that's coming up in the fall september 8th and 9th in greenville south carolina we've got a great group of speakers here and this coming week i'm hoping to get all of the topics posted and we'll include a link to that down in the description so you can click on that see who all's coming and then also what they'll be talking about it's going to be a great time here And so I hope a lot of you can come and attend that. Appreciate everyone who joined us for the live show. If you missed any part of it, you can go back and watch or listen. Head over to YouTube. You can search Hoops Forum there and find the full length video on Randy's YouTube page. Or if you're more inclined to listen, just go to any podcast platform and search a quick timeout to find the audio version of the show. For Randy Sherman, I'm Tony Miller. We'll talk to you again next
1: time on Hoops Forum.